Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. Tron Conquest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz. Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim. And you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Talkhouse Podcast. I'm Josh Modell. On this week's episode, we've got what might seem at first to be an unusual pairing, but that has its genesis in some serious fandom, Taylor Bennett and Matt Johnson. Taylor Bennett is a musician, entrepreneur, and community activist who has helped guide the career of his older brother, Chance the Rapper, while also busting genres on his own records. Bennett is a restless musician, rarely content to make the same moves twice. He raps and he sings and has proudly been sample-free on his last few records. A few years back, he released Be Yourself, a manifesto of sorts that championed inclusivity and positivity. He also told the world around the same time that he's proudly bisexual. For this year's coming of age, Bennett once again found inspiration in all different kinds of music, even bringing in some guests from various areas on the musical spectrum. One guest he was particularly excited to work with was Matt Johnson of Matt and Kim, the New York indie duo behind some of the past two decades' most invigorating songs. Johnson contributed vocals to Kick Back from Coming of Age. Check out a little bit of that song right here. As I said, Matt Johnson is half of Matt and Kim. You can probably guess which half. The life-affirming duo behind one really big hit, Daylight, a breakthrough music video that you'll hear about in this chat, the end credit song in a Lego movie, and perhaps most importantly, the sort of we-did-it-our-way career that should be the envy of their peers. Matt and Kim have released six albums in their two decades together, and they've built a relationship with their audience through undeniably joyous live shows and a sense of gratitude you don't always see in bands. Their energy is, to use a true rock cliche, infectious, and it's a big part of their appeal, along with damn catchy songs, of course. The inability to get out in front of his fans has made Matt a little itchy over the past couple of years, which you'll hear about in this chat. Johnson and Bennett also talk about giant dildos in this podcast, so prepare yourself for that. If that's not enough to pique your interest, the two also talk about trying to separate the art from the artist, about the real reason to remain independent, and about what it's like to get completely naked in Times Square in the dead of winter for a video shoot. It's a lot of fun, and I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I did. Okay, we're jumping right into it. We've been in communication, like, via text. This is our first time face-to-face. I'm so fucking excited. Uh, Matt, I know I tell you this all the time. It doesn't get old, but I've been a big fan of you, Kim, your music, what you do, since I was, like, a kid. I started making music when I was pretty young. I was, like, 16 or 17 putting out music, and I've always felt like I never wanted my music to, I guess, grow out of a generation. Like, I always wanted my fans to grow with me, as in some TV. TV shows you might see with real life characters like the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air that everybody loves and you get to watch them you grow with them you see the trials and tribulations you see them get older and it's like you grow with them and I always wanted to do that and honestly the first time I was introduced to a band like that was you guys all the way from good old-fashioned nightmares and lessons learned all the way to fucking Lego movies that I watch with my kids now like seriously it and it's so awesome because it's like very rare that you find that in the industry with a lot of artists, you know? No, I, I appreciate that and you seeing that and that being something important to you because we've been doing this since 2000. 
four, we started the band. Uh, and I can't believe that that's almost 20 years ago. Like, I almost don't want to admit it. You know? Isn't that crazy? Oh, my gosh. Yes. But very lucky to have people who've come to our shows. You know, people say, this is my 10th Matt and Kim show. This is my 15th. They've been growing up with us and sticking with us. And that's that version of, like, you know, relationship with the people who like your band, is, to me, is huge. That is not just like, oh, I liked that song, I'm one and done, and, and whatever. And and you know it, we, me and Kim have one song like that. We have a song that, you know, people are like, I don't know that band. And then they hear that song, Daylight, and they're like, oh, that band. But at the same time, we've been lucky to have this whole thing based really on live music that's just followed us for a long time. Yes. I started making music when I was younger, but I didn't really get into festivals and performing until I was probably like 18 or 19 and like able to travel and stuff like that. And like one of my like oldest bucket wishes was to be able to see you and Kim perform. I think you guys did a Chicago show like not too many years ago. And I literally had like one of my first like South by Southwest or something like that. And I was so salty because the whole day I was there, I was just thinking, damn, I'm going to miss their performance tomorrow. Like, oh, um, but I think that just goes to what you're saying about your live performances and such like that. I have to ask you because it's like, I'm just like, where does this come from? I love the energy. But like, so what? what's to the dildos? Like, what's up with the dildos? <laughs> All right, yeah, we're going. We're hitting the hard hitting. Stuff. We're going. We're fucking going, man. Okay, I know the very start of this. We were on a tour opening for... Uh, Ellie Goulding, the pop artist, and her keyboard player. It was Kim's birthday. And he said, what do you want? Like, what you getting for your birthday? And of course, in a very Kim way, she just <laughs> said, I want a big dick or something like that. Of course, I don't know. That's the kind of thing Kim would say. So he shows up later that day with an 18-inch uh, model of a dildo. I even remember the model name. The brand was Doc Johnson and the model was ah. <laughs> the model was the Dick Rambone. Yo, that shit is the Dick Rambo. There we go. We're talking yeah. about some action right now. Yo, <laughs> hilarious on my side since I just asked you about the dildo shit. So when I first moved into this crib, there was this store that's downstairs. Um, I forget the exact name of it, but it's like an adult store, right? Um, and me and my fiance, my partner, I was telling her when I first saw it, cause I didn't realize it for like two months. I was like, yo, we gotta go. We gotta go into this store. Like, uh, it's COVID. There's nothing going on. I'm trying to go into this store. And then we ended up going to the store and when we got into the store, I was just so, I think kind of infatuated with the items of choice and just so many different things that were going on. But I think something that I was thinking about the whole time I was there was Matt and Kim. And I just, like, when, we, when I found out we were doing this fucking talk house, I was like, yo, I gotta ask him what's up with these dildos. Cause of course, that's like one of the number one things they sell there. So as soon as I walk in, it's like I'm hearing daylight just go off in my head. Fucking, you know what I'm saying? Like, well, if Kim was happy to know that you had any association with the band, she'd be like walking into an adult uh, store and thinking of Matt and Kim is really. So for people who don't know, so we got a second one. Kim plays the drums on stage with them. And then we'd be just, Taylor, you know how it is. You're, you have all this time but between the sh the set and you're just hanging out backstage. So there's a suction cup on the bottom of them. So we started like having what we called the dick cathalon, trying to get it to stick to things like in the, yeah. So, but then we started doing TikToks. And honestly, if you want to know the key to TikTok, 
just put a giant dildo in it and it will go viral every time. Every time. Yo, I fucking love it. But I will say, so connecting two of these things. So you talk about having the kids wanting to go into the store. Me and Kim, we've had people who've grown up with us. Now they have kids. We see videos of their kids dancing to our music. But our show is very adult. Still, Kim has a mouth on her. There's things like we've... Right. <laughs> we printed a thousand blow-up dolls with our faces on them that we throw in the... Whatever. We have songs in the Lego movie. But so parents bring their kids and sometimes <laughs> they get very upset. You'd be upset at a great time. <laughs> <laughs> I have not been fortunate enough to see your live show yet, but like... Man, bro. Oh my gosh. There's a lot of inspiration from you guys um, in our shows. I have like sometimes from a three-piece to like a four-piece band, like keys, bass, guitar, drums, like, and we're all young. Like we all have a lot of energy and it's like, I don't know if you know this, but like all my music since like 2014 has been like sample free. And I'm a big fan of you guys. And when we were creating this project, like I was playing so much of you guys' music because it's just like even all the way up to you guys' new release, like the um, Steal the Yellow Cab. Like it's like the production on that shit, man, is so fucking crazy. I got this one song that was stuck in my head for like the last two months on my own. Okay, yeah. You know, I didn't get here on my own. Like, yeah, bro, like, but it's just like the production and the level. And it's like, so that's like a big inspiration. So I would love for you to come see the show, man. Because I think you'd really be, you'd rock with the band. And it's just also like, just like how I feel like a lot of you guys' music is, it's a good time. Like, and I think something that you were just kind of talking about as well, when you're saying adults bringing their children to the concerts, it's like, you all's music, again, there's this universal aspect to it where it's not something that's created with one, a genre, but also like the rating. You get what I'm saying? And I was talking to somebody the other day because I'm a huge like MCU, like Marvel fan. There's the new Doctor Strange movie that just came out and they were talking about satire and how a lot of the shows are or different characters from the Avengers and shit. It's a lot of comedy that's over the movies. I can watch something, hear an innuendo joke, still get the action scene that I want, and then my sons can also appreciate it. Yeah. Do you ever revisit things you watched when you were like a kid and you totally missed half the jokes and you're like, oh. Bro, oh, yeah. no, totally. Um, I think that like, a, and that's like a huge part of my life now is watching a lot of different movies like the Muffets, right? Like yeah. the Muffets is fucking hilarious. Like I never understood anything Miss Piggy was saying until I'm watching it now. And I'm just like, this shit is really next level. But I did want to ask you something else too. And it kind of inspired and I'll send you the picture. I don't know if you know, but I'm a part of the LGBTQ community. I came out as on Bisexual in 2017. And yesterday was the anniversary of a project that was really like a staple point for my career in terms of accepting and expressing myself it was called be yourself and the cover art for it you'll see it i'm gonna just text it to you right now actually a lot of the inspiration came from a lessons learned video but when you guys go to times square and you yeah. guys start taking off your clothes and i've always wanted to ask you because like still to this day like i watch that video not only all the time but i also like because i read my own comments like i read comments of other folks and that shit was just so before it's fucking time like what was the thought behind that? okay well well let me first say i i love this cover i i'm looking at it right Thank now you, and what i love about it and for people who haven't seen this it's you're not okay you're wearing very little but you're not in a pose 
that's like going to be the most flattering pose. I've seen your physique now. You've shown Thank it you, like man. you're very cut now. But yeah. you're doing Thank you, man. so is this is this celebration. There's confetti and balloons, but this sort of like slumped over sad physique. Yeah. It says so much in one image, you know? Thank you, man. There's like a lot of different things from it, but I want you to answer. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So I mean, we came, you know from DIY. I mean, I know you've talked about the same thing and, and we always were like, what is the million dollar idea that costs like a thousand bucks to make, right? We don't, we don't have a lot of money to make a video, but we can have an idea that's really expensive, oh, right? I love it, yes. And I had that, so this video for, yeah, people who haven't seen it, it's me and Kim, we strip naked and walk through Times Square. And there's some other things that happen in it. This song is about the freedom of hitting rock bottom. And we're just like, how do we just be super vulnerable? It's like, let's take our clothes off. And we were going to do it on some back street in Bushwick in Brooklyn. And then we're like, you know what? We got to go somewhere public. We got to go to the most public place in this city, maybe in this country. We went to Times Square. Ow. And, um... Kim was not happy. It was January. And, you know. Bro, I fucking, that was it, though. Like, that was a huge part of it because it's fucking freezing. It's freezing. And, you know, a man cannot be at the extent of his manhood in the freezing cold. But, uh, you know, lay, lay it off. Exactly. <laughs> and the thing was, I remember, you know, we had our friends shooting it and, and, and making it with us. And they're like, I don't know. I, I don't think it should be one shot. It's going to get boring. We should do multiple cameras. I'm like, we got to do one shot. That was yeah. going to be one of my next questions. So that's a one shot. Like that whole thing. One shot. I'm like, let's do it one shot. Wow. And still, you know, I, I even after we made it, I was like, I, this is a cool idea on the cheap. Cool. But like we won a VMA for that, for Breakthrough Video. And I was like, little old us who recorded this song in my childhood bedroom at my parents' house and then shot this video with our friends. We had been a band for five, six years at that point, but we hadn't broken through to anything that felt more mainstream. Right. The next little step on that, because I don't know how many people know it, that uh, Erica Badu did a video based on our video. You can look at it for a window seat. It, it starts by saying dedicated to Matt and Kim, right? And we had, we had never met Erica Badu before, but we're in Atlanta recording an album at the time. Kim gets a text and says, hey, it's Badoo, give me a call. And Kim's like, Badoo? Badoo who? I don't even know. And then our label hits up, Erica Badoo. She was trying to get us to fly that day to Dallas to be in her music video, whatever. We, we were like, no, do your thing. Take your clothes off, you know, uh, whatever. She was, so she did a video of her. And of course it became much more popular than our video, but. Oh my gosh, that's so good. Kim said it was because she had a better butt, but uh, Kim's butt is second to none in my opinion. Here we go, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Eric, about you, that's a nice butt Hey, this is Josh Modell, host of the TalkHouse podcast. We love it when musicians come on the show and talk about process, and often they'll get into the nuts and bolts of being a working artist, which can sometimes be fun and sometimes feel more like a business. Well, this episode of TalkHouse is brought to you by DistroKid, which is an amazing service for musicians looking to get their songs out into the world in an incredibly smart and cost-effective way. 
For the past decade plus, DistroKid has made it easy to get your music on all the streaming services, including Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Instagram, and more. You keep 100% of your earnings minus a flat yearly fee, which is a better deal than you'll find anywhere else. More than a million artists use DistroKid, and the latest version of their app is better than ever. It includes features that make it easy to see your account details, including the money you've earned, as well as to seamlessly edit things like lyrics and metadata across platforms. There's even a feature called Instant Share, which allows you to easily share files with your bandmates, booking agent, playlist curators, and more. DistroLock allows you to protect your songs. DistroKid users get a YouTube official artist channel, too. The list goes on. The DistroKid app is available on iOS and Android. Go check it out today. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. Hey, TalkHouse listeners, it's Josh Modell. Instead of encouraging you to listen to podcasts today, I'm here to encourage you to read something great. The particular something I have in mind is the second issue of The TalkHouse Reader, the print zine spearheaded by our fantastic music editor, Annie Fell. This issue is focused on the intersection of food and music, and it features contributions from Maddie Matheson, Coleman Domingo, Squirrel Flower, Sam Evian, The Blessed Madonna, and more. There are pieces about eating while on tour, the gentrification of food, cooking as a creative catalyst, and much, much more. You can order a copy today, along with the first issue, at store.talkhouse.com. Please do check it out. So let me ask you this, man. I don't know how much, like, you might know about, like, you know, my story or, like, my family chances. My older brother and I managed him as well. And we've both been independent, like, our whole careers. And growing up, there were a few artists that really inspired. Because, you know, first of all, I think when a lot of people talk about independence these days, a lot of it is connected to money. So they say, you should be independent because you'll make more money. But they don't really talk about so much the creative control. And some of, like you said, your most successful work is DIY, where you, you know, find the videographer, you come up with the idea yourself and all of these different things. And you're one of those people, as well as people like Michael Jackson, that, you know, I've seen that it's like, of course, you know, and I hate the word mainstream, but of course, you all are artists that are at a stature, at least in my opinion, of the greatest artist of all time. And I know you guys are very often in the same rooms and a part of some of the same collaborative projects and things like that. But the way that you always express your art and yourself is very, again, like you said, DIY. And I wanted to kind of ask you when and how did that inspiration begin for you? And when did you realize like, okay, this is how I'm going to continue to do my projects. And I'm not going to, I guess, for lack of words, ever not be the creative control of what I'm doing. I'm curious your answer to the same question. Why? So for me, it's, uh, I'll give the quick one. The scene we came out with was just, no one expected to ever make a living off music. I never expected to make a living off music. We were all just booking our own shows. It was MySpace era. Kim was booking us tours on MySpace. We'd play in people's living rooms. And it was the best. I never, we were like, if we, they pass a hat around. And it was just baked into what we did, you know? We didn't see other people with success in the start, you know? It was like, we are all these DIY bands. And we just held that same thing going along. 
keeping it there, creative control is huge. We did do our first album and we did it with a label. We didn't have much money and, and it, we rushed it and I just wasn't happy with the results. And our second album, like, we're just going to do this ourselves. This is the one we did in the fucking bedroom with, uh, you know, whatever. And it had the songs that broke through, but we just had the time, creativity, and no one else to tell us what we were trying to do was wrong. We had played all these sort of punk shows, and that's the community we came up in. But me and Kim are such big hip-hop fans, and a lot of our friends were DJs. And we were working with a producer, and they kept pushing us to keep this kind of just, like, more, like, punk beat thing. We're like, I don't know. We, this isn't, we like this, this kind of beat. And we just didn't want to argue about it. We just wanted to do it. It's the same for me and my brother, where when you first start off, we're in Chicago. And let me ask you this, too. Where were you guys based at? Did you say New York? Yeah, we met in Brooklyn and we were dating for like two years before we even tried making music together. So like in Chicago, I feel like in New York, it's a similar thing. It's a little bit different because there's a little bit more of an industry, but it's also still a thing where music is more of a commodity than it is like a, um, or it's more of a luxury and environment than it is something for sale. So we don't have this huge industry, but of course, I think coupled with, the violence and the things that were um, kind of pulling the city. And then also the media that was starting to kind of hover around Chicago and look at the youth. There was already this group similar to what you had talked about of these small either bands or acts that had a few YouTube videos and were kind of a circulation and talk amongst the city. There began to be a buzz around exactly the genre of music that was existing. Um, and at this time in Chicago, I don't know if you know um, of Chief Keef, but I'm a huge fan of Chief Keef. So there was drill music that was being created. And then there was also this um, kind of trippy, um, indie, hip hop, conscious music that was being created. And that was like Chance, I, uh, Sabler, Vic Mensa, a lot of other artists that were, but these two things were kind of starting at the same time. So there's attempts to sign different artists from those you know, genres and try to amplify whatever this underground pushes and make a mainstream hype for it. And it kind of created this genre of itself. And there was like this hype around it. And all of these things, again, were happening before, like you said, we were seeing major money. So like, of course, every now and then maybe there'd be some call and it's like, hey, you know, we want you to come down to bumfuck wherever and perform for $3,500. And it's like, oh yeah, like this is awesome. But of course, like, Back then, we weren't using self-distribution. We were putting everything on SoundCloud and YouTube. Like I was saying to you, even as a kid, before I knew anything about independent business, I knew that your music was so different from what I was listening to before that it was at least independent thought. And I was a fan of that, that you were being yourself. And I think that was like such a big thing for me. You know what I'm saying? I appreciate that that came across. And I, and I honestly, it to being honest with myself, I think uh, maybe five years ago, we're going to do this one album, a one-off on a major. We're going to try the radio thing. I felt like we made some songs that we thought would work at radio. And that's out of my whole career, that's the only thing I'm disappointed with myself for. Like, because... Well, that happens, man. Yeah, that you, happens. Get, you get caught up and you're like, but what if? I'm a big Jim Carrey fan. He's hilarious and just a very smart guy. But I was watching him in this interview a few weeks ago, and he was saying something I've never heard anybody say before. And he was saying that after the Sonic the Hedgehog 2 movie, which my son loves, 
um, he was going to retire. And he was saying that the reason why he was going to retire is because he had fulfilled his dreams being an actor. And he said, the biggest reason why is because I feel that I have enough. And it was a crazy thing for me to see anybody say, because I've never seen, I've never heard somebody say that, like in an interview in real life. But I really could feel what he was saying, because I think a lot of times success is measured by what others have. But there's really only so much that we truly need. And as a musician, and I'm sure this is the same for you, like one of the things that I love most in this world is making music. And being independent, doing DIY, being where I am now, I can still do that. But you'll always have that point. And I don't think it's a bad thing because, and I'll just say, again, you guys create great experiences and you have such positive and insightful music that sometimes in the same way as Bob Marley would say, evil doesn't take a day of rest and neither can I. And neither can you. So I do believe, like, seriously, that, and I believe that there's already songs that you've made that I'm sure are platinum, gold, number ones, hits. But just know that I believe that there's songs that you have made that have that ability. And sometimes it's like a thing where it's like, I want you to, I want you to always take those steps. And I'm saying that, like, as a fan, because it's like, you know, you're the best. Like, I know it sounds crazy, but true fan shit, like, no, true fan shit, like you guys are so fire. And for me to be a kid, to grow up on your music, one thing that I've said in some interviews, but I don't think I've gotten a chance to say this to you, is like, you know, when you're watching different movies, when you're listening to different music, they're like outlets to different spaces in different areas. And a lot of times we internalize the music, or at least I do, as something that's a product of myself. And then I create an image of or a reflection of what I feel from that music, right? And that's my inspiration and motivation. I grew up with all kinds of music, like hip hop, rock, like all different kinds of things. But there were certain artists and Madden Kim were one of those artists where when I turned you guys on, it was like I kind of teleported. And I like that you said this thing earlier about your performances because they are so different and you bring that energy to your shows. But it's also a thing where as a kid skateboarding with my headphones in, I felt like I was there. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. um, and kids need that, man. They need that from you guys. Honestly, and, and I mean, anyone listening to this could could look at both of us and see, you know, successful musicians, people who get to live doing this thing they love. But I've had a messed up last couple of years. I mean, in the sense of I've been my whole adult life, I've been doing this and we got off the road because of the COVID thing. And 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 I was like, I kind of got lost. Who am I? What am I doing? We put out some songs, but honestly, the self-promotion side of it's been really hard for me, putting myself out there. I don't know. Like, I feel bummed. Like, you know, this collaboration we did, such a great song, but I've just been off Instagram and social media for months. I just not on it because it was messing my head up. It's like the pandemic sped up technology to a level that I didn't think I'd see for like five years. Yeah. And it's just like through the music that's constantly marketed through just like the ads and the comments and the bots. And the, it's like, it's almost a scary thing, man. I went on like a small tour after the pandemic was over. I went on a small tour and like every show, man, like just phones, like it's hard to even get people to kind of move anymore. When I go to the shows and there's so many people recording, I wonder if they're really living in that moment or living for that moment, you know? Mm. 
like for it to be something 30 minutes later, for it to be an hour post. And it's like the music, man, like you guys' music, like again, like it's so fucking good. And it's just like, you know, it's just like fucking it's there. Like, you know what I'm saying? And a lot of stuff, it's hard to find what's going on with it. But I definitely, definitely feel you, man. I'm coming back and I'm finding my inspiration again, right? And, and what I want to ask you about, because I think, you know, on a lyrical level, you have a lot of great stuff. Thank you, man. And that's been the thing that's always been important to me, but not the natural part. It's not what flows out. I can flow out chords and melodies and just the feeling of it. But the lyrics I pain over because it's not what comes easy, but it's important to me, you know? But what I love most about lyrics you have, and you know, it goes back and forth. What type of song is this? But ones that are, you know, they're essentially, it's about you, but it's in a looser way. It's in a, it's a more poetic way. It's, it's hitting on many things without telling, but, but it gets me to know you better, you know, in hearing. This is so fucking cool. Coolest thing. Coolest <laughs> okay. thing is happening. But I honestly, I, we got lost around that 2015 album. And again, I don't want, I never want to talk shit on him. Like if people like that music, I like that music. I just, what I want to find me, yeah. No, I feel you, but and I love that you're saying this right now, though, Matt, and I just gotta say, like, that's why you're so fucking cool and what you got, and, like, seriously, though, it's scary right now. In music, I've had the feeling where there's an expectation for how what I'm doing should sound. And it's scary because as an artist, you're supposed to grow, and nobody should stay the same. But I also believe that because the industry is so monetized at this point, people want mainstream, mainstream, mainstream. But if you create that mentality in your head, it's almost like you stop being who you are and you take on a persona of what people want to see. You know, I was reading something that says places like McDonald's are successful because people always know what they're going to get when they go in there. It's always the same no matter where you go. And they were saying that bands should do the same. Always, you know, deliver. But I'm like, I don't think I, to just feel excited, you need to evolve. But the problem is, I also get it that I get into, not my band, but another band for one thing. And when they change it too much, I'm like, well, that's not why I got into you. But how do you keep inspired and still, like, I feel as a band who's been doing this as many years as us, you get more and more into a corner. Because I... I appreciate the fans have been with us so much. I want to keep them happy. A lot of artists say, I don't give a fuck. I do this for me. Right. That's not the case. I do it for everybody. I do it for right. me, but I do it for everyone who listens. You hit it on the head earlier where you said that you had the first album you did and it was with the label. You felt like it was kind of rushed, like there were different things you were budgeted and stuff. But then you said you did the second album and you did it your way. But the most important thing that you said was you had time. Yeah. And on this project, like I did like a lot of research into music and different musicians that I'm a huge fan of, like Prince, Michael Jackson. And what I found out is that back in the day when Michael Jackson was creating an album, he was trying to make the best album ever. So every single time that he went into the studio, he was trying to make the best album ever, which is an impossible thing almost for anybody to kind of comprehend. Right. But then what he was also saying is that when he would create an album, the span of marketing behind that album was five to seven years. So he was releasing songs. He was doing world tours. He would start with nationwide tours or small secret shows, the nationwide tours, then a worldwide tour. But he was literally pushing every drop into every project 
it's a thing where with all music, I don't really care what genre it is. If you're creating music, they want you to make music and work at the same pace, but in a three-year term, right? And that's impossible. Nobody can go into an, especially if you're not fully reaching the most that I can maximize the potential of a project from tours to merchandise to videos to the deep, the more, the deeper the rabbit hole gets for the fan. That's when I'm happy. And then that's also when I gain an understanding for what I want to write next. And then I think a big thing about it too is as artists, and we kind of miss it because it's something that sometimes the business doesn't see as a marketing or a a monetizing tool is life, is your everyday self. And I think a lot of times when I look at artists like Michael Jackson and Prince, or even you guys, the things that I love sometimes all the way down to the fucking sex shop and walking in and seeing the dildos, they're not just the music, like all the way down to you guys, you know, stripping in Times Square. It's not just the music. It's deeper than that. Um, And like that a lot of times has been what I've tried to channel. So even with the Be Yourself campaigns, it was something where I felt, how do I open the expression of myself, but not just for my community, but create it to be a conversation that people can just embrace and express themselves? Even outside of the music, how can I show or converse, really? Um, and then one thing I'll say that you guys do really good is like, what's it called? Is it called the sweater song or the hoodie song? Yeah, it's... Um... Hoodie on. It's just called Hoodie on. Yeah, it's called Hoodie on. So like, yeah. like just different songs and shit like that. Like when I was a kid or when I was younger and like, that was something that I felt. Everybody has a hoodie. Like what yeah. the fuck? Like, and it's like, that is where I've started to try to also engage with my fans because though our art to us is a necessity, it is not a necessity to others. And sometimes it's like, let's say I stop making music, right? Fans will be like, oh, man, there's no more new music with Taylor Bennett, but they still got to pick their kids up. They still got to pay their bills. They still got to do those things. And it's a challenge as an artist, especially when you love, because I believe like you, you can't be as good as you are as a musician, Matt, if you don't love music. Yeah. Like I know you love music, like outside of your own music. And it's a thing where I've started to learn how to also cherish And that's why I love you so much, (laughs) because it's like I've learned to cherish what other artists also can give me and trying to find and fill that void through the music that I love. I had this conversation with my sister-in-law about BTS, right? And she's the hugest BTS fan. She came to see two nights here, so far, whatever. And I just want to know, I was like, okay, aside from the music, why... What is it that all she wants to do is consume BTS content? Like, does it stop watching TV shows? And she's in her 30s. And it is because there's so much. You can be in that world. You can go down the rabbit hole. You can exist with them, even outside the music. But one thing that really I think is interesting and a takeaway for any musician, she says because of the way they started out and because she felt like they were engaging with fans, that even though she knows she's one in 80,000 in that stadium, she feels that they care for her. Yes. Honestly, I mean, we'll do these shows and, you know, we've done, they've been scattering since. And people are like, so we're so excited you're here. I'm so, I'm like, I'm more, I'm even more excited than you are. Like, I'm so excited okay. you're here. You're here. At them. And from a very authentic way. I'm not one of these bands that are like, oh, you know, I'm <laughs> saying this because I, I really am. 
That honestly, like doing these shows is like the highlights of my life. I hope they can feel my appreciation. And they see Kim with a big fucking We got on stage for the first time after whatever. She was just crying. And she wants to be so tough. And I'm like, I call her out. I'm like, I know I'm sitting two feet away and you guys are all the way back, but I'm watching the tears come out of her eyes, you know? And um, it means so much to me that it means something to people who like the band. And I think we can all sense that, right? Yeah, 100%. So I have, I got a couple questions for you. I got to ask, I know you and Kim are huge hip hop fans. So I'm not going to make you pick one, but I need a top three, top three rappers and then top three songs. Oh my, here's where my being off social media, I'm worried I'm gonna say someone and they're gonna have gotten in trouble recently. <laughs> they're gonna, oh my God, okay, there we go. That's a good, good reason to stay off social media, there's no way. Okay, for example, for example, Kim will say this without ever like, she, you know, like this, T.I. Bring Em Out is her favorite song of all time. That's Oh, that's, there we go. I love but it. when T.I. was in some hot water over things he had said about his daughter, <laughs> she never wavered from her support. I'm like, and again, I actually respect that a lot. Yet at the same time, like, I don't want to get like some tweet that gets caught up in. I don't know. like, And it's in a thousand million places. And I remember when the pandemic happened and my dad and my brother and we were all talking and we had all just said, it's never going to go back to normal. Mm. Like it'll never be. And it's such a crazy thing, but I really do believe that technology has progressed and conversations have progressed. And there's so many different things that are going on now that it's almost, and like you just said, hard to even really be in so-and-so touch with what is out there. I don't know. I don't even want to say names because I'm like, whatever, but you know, like, but can we talk about separating art from the artist? That's a huge conversation. You brought up Michael Jackson, right? And Michael Jackson is an in- incredible musician, credible artist, you know, and... But there's the craziest allegations. <laughs> yes, and so right. here's the thing is that... Okay, for example, here's one very even, even more current is that, like, I'm a huge Kanye fan, someone I've been with for so many years and has again and again, done really creative, original stuff I've loved. But Kim will not let it play. Only because of the shit he has said and stands for and whatever. So here's the Michael Jackson-Kanye difference. Is it artists that still uh, profit from your support? Michael Mm. isn't going to profit from us streaming his songs. You know, like... uh, Or not as, as in himself. Yes, yes. Someone there. But someone said this to me and it really stood out to me or I read it or whatever. I don't know how I got it. But that, okay, if someone came up with the cure for cancer and we found out that they did terrible things, would we ignore what they had given society? So if we found out Shakespeare was the most, uh, he's probably not great, probably, but the most. Probably not a great guy, I was going to say. Yeah. Would we ignore everything we've learned in schools about how to tell stories and all of that? Because honestly, art and science, at least in my mind, they are both as important. You know, like they both change people's lives. They both save people's lives. I believe that what we've been seeing, and now it's more apparent than ever, is there is one, a sense of control, for example, 10 years ago, we might watch Wheel of Fortune 
And we'd get excited to see somebody win a vacation and $50,000. Now somebody's like, fuck that. I'm not going to watch that. I want to win $200,000. I want to be in this. And there's an application or there's a service that they can themselves be a part or enter, like we said, YouTube videos to be a famous artist or whatnot. And I think because that process, which I love that we're talking about this now, because we've been kind of speaking on it throughout this whole thing, the process of people being able to like, comment, share their opinions amongst and on other artists has given almost, um, and I won't even say almost, and this is the internet and the pandemic as well, there is a level of vocal power that did not exist 10 to 20 years ago when Michael Jackson was on TV performing that now fans do have on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And what it's created as well is, example, you're at elementary school and you're walking down the hall, you see seven kids run the opposite direction. Somebody stops and they say, hey, Matt, there's this fucking crazy fight happening right now in the lunchroom. You got to see this shit. Now in your head, you're probably like, I know I got to go to science class, but you also really want to see it. And it might not be for the reasons of I love violence, but it might just be because it's the conversation. And the unfortunate thing about social media is that a lot of times what we will give our attention to as caring people are negative things to try to figure out what's going on, but not realizing that we're also becoming an analytic or a statistic that now is sharing that onto someone else's home feed. Mm. And that's the scary thing about it. And then on top of that, you know, the monetization of news, right? So it's like tabloids, news, press, there have been, but now even more than ever because of the internet, they'll print tabloids, headlines, things that get people to click because they get paid off that click, no matter it's true or not. And I think that those conversations sometimes aren't meant by the fans to be as hurtful as they can be for the artists or entertainers in their career. I think it's very similar to the gossip of like back in the days when something crazy would happen on TV and we're talking about it, but instead we're tweeting about it. And then we're seeing those things now in a way that those artists never could see those things. I was just wondering if you uh, had thick skin. And I say that as someone who's very thin skin. I, and I, I think what you're saying is very true, that people, I don't think, recognize the artists see these things. And yeah. that they land like you're still a freaking junior in high school. You know, like you would think I'm a grown ass adult. And I'm they still, even worse. I'm sweating some freaking comment where there's a hundred positive ones and there's one negative one and I'm sweating that one. You would think you would toughen over the years, doing something public for years. For some reason, it's going the opposite way. Let's start at the beginning. Cyberbullying when I was a kid was like the first time it was like a huge conversation. And it was like from Club Penguin and shit. But it's like they talk about the idea of someone going to school and then going home and no matter if they're online, not being able to escape these things and they're not being a force field or any kind of parental guidance or anything like that that's stopping that. And I think that's like a big thing that's happening right now. Right. Because it's like going to school is and being around, let's say, 100 kids at school and something happens. And then it's a conversation online, very similar to doing a stadium show with 100,000 people and something crazy happens. And then all those kids go home which is to school, and then they start talking about you. And it's like, as that one person, no matter if you have 50 million followers or you have, you know, 100,000 followers, 
you're not going to be able to compete with those voices because there's still only one of you. And I think that what also happens a lot of times is the way that just as people in general, we level success with the amount of people that are following and also power. So somebody might see 350,000 followers and say, oh, Taylor Bennett, he has 350,000 people that support him. You know what I'm saying? But the truth about it is that I could still say something and only one person support it, you know, whether it's right or it's wrong. Um, And I think that there is also, which is a crazy aspect to think about this, because our politics are so fucked up in America, a lot of times, and I'm sure you did as well, growing up, I looked at other influencers and entertainers to voice my opinions. And there was almost like a weight. And I know Kanye West has to be one of the ones that we brought up that has felt it the most over the years of people or him feeling that either he's speaking for others or the things that he's saying are affecting others when he's really speaking his beliefs for himself, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that that's a great person to even bring up because we've seen how the internet and technology over the years, it went from, I remember when he said whatever he said about George Bush and he was saying he was receiving letters because there was no Twitter. You know what I'm saying? Someone had to put a stamp on Somebody that envelope? Had to put Come a on. stamp on that shit, put their address, say, yeah. hey, this is me from fucking blah, blah, blah. So, and I do, I do believe that it's a thing where if we don't figure out the separation truthfully, not even from the artist, the person and the art, but if we can't figure out the separation from the music and, and from the um, entertainment side of it that's when we're really lost because i do believe that people like you people like me i fucking love music like i love like i said all music with all my heart man and there's a deeper reason for concerts for creating music than monetization but if we allow the monetization aspect of it to really take us over where we're not allowed to creatively grow as artists then we're gonna it's it's swaying but i also do believe this as well The only reason why music is moving the way that it is, is because of the monetization aspect. And I believe that if there was no money in music, music might be a lot better. People would play and say things that they feel. And here's here's the one thing. This drives me freaking bonkers, but the truth of it is real. And it, it comes back to what you say. It's actually the world in which that exists, which is bands' first albums. Why are so many bands' first albums so great? And it's because... We purely thought no one would fucking hear them. I love that. You know, like, and so they weren't done about money. They weren't, and and that's so many bands. You know, you look at these legendary albums, you know, things even like other indie bands, like Pumped Up Kicks, Foster the People's first song. Oh my God, first song. I believe Sweater Weather was the neighborhood's first song. You know, like, I, and again, it's like, well, they've never actually hit those successes. I know. Pumped Up Kicks was a demo that they tried to redo. That was a demo. In the, the video, everything is like... Yeah, but it had yeah. some magic that they, they tried to redo it in the studio, and they're just like, no, there was magic when we weren't thinking anyone was going to hear this shit. One, you're making the music, and you're not thinking about a financial game, but then two, when you get a deal or when you're creating this new project, you're thinking in your head about money, Right. Like, it's impossible to be an artist and go into any record deal and not think about recoupment, not think about advances, not think about. And then, like you said as well, 
as soon as your business or your music becomes a deal, you automatically create a time, time frame. There's a timeline, there's a budget, there's time constraints. And that's why I wanted to make this project because I want kids to have that for the next generation. And I don't want to see it become something where it's like indie music has been indie music for too long. And I think the idea of it being mainstream, but only at the expense or will of the industry is like a dying out thing. Like, and there's so many artists that you've inspired that independence has inspired that are creating music now on YouTube with videos, with their friends and thinking, and you said this and it was such a genius thing. And I have to say it again, they're not thinking about what sells and what's going to be a bang. And they also don't have all the money in the world, but they're thinking about an idea that's priceless. Like when you yeah. guys went to Times Square and did what you did. And that is the fucking future. That is the value of what we do. Like we prolong that energy and that shit is so important, man. You know what I'm saying? And I will say we talk about all the pitfalls of, of you know, in social media and being a musician and, and things but there's also a lot looking up. Yes. When we were even starting out 20-ish years ago, people were more into one genre. Oh, I listen to this genre. I listen to this. And now people just kind of like these new kids like what they like and they like all kinds of stuff. And I, you know, again, I, I've been very happy to be on this receiving end of, of, you know, you're younger, so you've known our band for a long time. But I have to say, you know, this new album, I've listened to it. It's great. And you do something... That's great, which is you blend a lot of shit, you know? And I think that sort of genre blending for these kids who aren't, they're into everything, you know, they're just into stuff that feels right. And I think that's the wave and that's, that things won't be one specific genre. They'll be just like a mixture of all kinds of stuff. And you, you really yeah. captured that well on this. Thank you, man. That this literally fucking means the world again, man. Like, um, I know we haven't gotten face-to-face -face. last time I was trying to catch you in New York. I'm going to catch you. We're going to get drinks. We're going to get food. Hell yeah. I just, I really appreciate you, man. I appreciate you. One, and I, I got to say it, I know as an artist what it's like because we're people. So like outside of the music, outside, like you have your own shit and stuff that you're doing. And I just a hundred percent, you know, I'm independent. I think I hit you up like three weeks before this like project was coming out. Like, Hey man, I know we did this like a year ago, but like, I'm still super hyped about this. And the way that you guys got on top of it, the way that like, just thank you, man. And I have been so inspired by you. Like this call is inspiring. And it's just a thing where I want to continue, not just the relationship, but also producing what we produce and giving it to the world. Well, I'm on board with 100% of that. Like, I could I could talk for another three hours here. Literally. And we could be in that, in your studio, not in my office, we'd really be talking, but we could be in your studio talking songs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. You know what I'm saying, man? So fuck yeah, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to the TalkHouse podcast, and thanks to Taylor Bennett and Matt Johnson for chatting. If you like what you heard, please follow TalkHouse on your favorite podcasting platform and check out our great written pieces and vast podcasting network at TalkHouse.com. This episode was produced by Myron Kaplan, and the TalkHouse theme is composed and performed by The Range. See you next time.